those sounds that are trapped in your mind. Sir, are you okay? I'm a little messed up. Anybody feel like they could uh, release some stress these days? I tell you what, I, think, I feel like a lot of people are feeling that. Uh, and if, you, if you're feeling that, you can know that you're not alone. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened. Go ahead and show me the next slide. Thank you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That is welcome news to a weary and restless world. Jesus says, I will give you rest. I found this today from the American Psychological Association. They say that 78% of Americans are experiencing a significant increase in stress these days. On one hand, uh, that's not super surprising, but on the other hand, I want to know, who are the 22%? Who's just like, man, everything is awesome. I love the way the world is going right now. I, I, I want to be like that. 49% of Americans are saying that this stress is impacting their behavior. Tell me if you think that any of these symptoms relate to you. Among those 49% of Americans who say that their stress is impacting their behavior, there are people who are feeling short-tempered. There are people who are screaming and freaking out at their family members. There are people who find that they are physically tense in their chest. Maybe you can relate to those things. We're feeling stressed out these days. So let us breathe in and let us breathe out. In the book of John, Jesus gives his Holy Spirit to his disciples. It says he breathes on them. There's something powerful, powerful about breathing. It's not just for our physical health, but it's for our spiritual health too. And I don't mean that in a weird way, truly. The word for spirit in, Bible, in the Bible literally means wind or breath. It is God's breath. And so I'm going to invite you into an exercise where you're just going to breathe in and you're going to breathe out. Are you ready? Let's go ahead and breathe in. And let's breathe out. Now, I want you to feel really free, okay? I really want you to go ahead and release the stress this morning. So when you breathe in, I want you, if you are kind of feeling like the Grinch this morning, go ahead and release whatever's inside of you. And let, you, and let, let, me, let it be known, I'm going to do it with you. Ready? All right, let's go ahead and breathe in. And let's breathe it out. Anybody feel better? Of course. We're looking for some help with our health. We're looking for some help with feeling better. This also showed up in statistics that I saw this week. The average U.S. American would spend 20000 plus in order to feel healthy all the time. That's from a poll that's called One Poll. They surveyed 2,000 Americans. They found that the average American would spend over $20,000 if they could be guaranteed that they would feel healthy. And yet 71% of Americans say they don't have time to practice their health. How interesting is that? We all want the health, but we're not taking time to practice it. That's why we're starting this brand new series this week, and it is called Taking Care of You. A lot of us neglect this. We don't take care of ourselves. Sometimes we think that in order to take care of other people, to serve anybody else, we have to forget about ourselves. But that's not true, and it's not biblical either. Jesus said in his most important commandment in all of the Bible, in Matthew chapter 22, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. But then he also says, love your neighbor as yourself. Go ahead and say, as yourself. As yourself. The Bible says you should love yourself. It doesn't mean that you are self-centered. It doesn't mean that you are self-focused. It doesn't mean that you are selfish. It means that you love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love is not something that we create on our own. Instead, it is something that is given to us by God. In 1 John, it says we love because God first loved us. Love is a creation made by God. It is not something that we can create on our own. And instead, it is something we receive and share with the people around us. You will only be able to love other people as well as you are willing to receive God's love. Now, there is a difference between self-comfort and self-care. Because we're talking about taking care of you. And sometimes the things that are comfortable are not actually caring for ourselves. You know what I mean when I say this, right? Sometimes we think care would be just to take a three-hour nap in the middle of the day. That, no, that, that's comfort, right? But it's not necessarily good for us. Then you wake up, you've got a headache, and it throws off your sleep schedule for like a month. Can anybody relate to that? Man, you think that's comfortable in the moment, but it, it's not actually caring. Sometimes we think that self-care is just taking a vacation, getting away, escaping. Sometimes we think that self-care is quitting our job, starting something new. Now, self-care might lead to doing those things, but it's not necessarily self-care. Self-care is oftentimes uncomfortable. Self-care is having the courage to look deep down within yourself and figure out what is unhealthy about me right now. It's scary to do that. Sometimes as Christians, we're the last people in the world to look deep down inside of ourselves. Because when we show up to a place like this, we look around and we're tempted to play a comparison game. We think about how nice everybody looks. And might I say, you are the best looking congregation I've ever seen in my life. Kudos to you. And people look good at church, right? But deep down, there's something inside of all of us that knows that maybe we're more complicated than we like to present. Sometimes Christians think that the only feelings that we're allowed to have are happy feelings, playful feelings, joyful feelings. But the truth is that the Bible encourages us to be honest about what we're really experiencing beneath the surface. In the book of Psalm chapter 139, it says this, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Sometimes... The thing that's standing between us and where we want to get is the baggage that we're carrying, right? Now, every single one of us carries baggage. It's okay to have baggage. It's okay if your neighbor has baggage. It's okay if your spouse has baggage. It's okay if your brother or sister has baggage. You don't get to hold their baggage against them. But sometimes, I would say that the only person holding our baggage against ourselves is, is us. I don't, I don't want to let go of it. And sometimes the only thing that's standing between me and where I want to get is this weight that I'm carrying around. Sometimes we don't like to look beneath the surface because we don't want other people to see down there. We're okay with them seeing what's above the surface. We're okay with them seeing, I don't know, the 10% of our whole selves. Maybe you can relate to this experience. When you're going through the airport, and you've got your bag, and you've got to go through the security, and they have that thing that you, know, you, you send it through, and it sees through your bag, and it's terrifying. And you kind of wonder when you're staying in the body thing, are they like seeing through my clothes right now? You feel a little awkward? <laughs> so when I was in seminary, I was, I was traveling out to Charlotte to visit my brother. Uh, and my brother and I, we just had this tradition with each other where we like to share goofy gifts with one another. Um, to a point where it, it can go pretty far. For example, for Christmas this year, my brother gave my brother-in-law my college diploma. I, I think I need that, right? Like, I called my mom, like, when I thought about this for the sermon today, I'm like, hey, where is my diploma? She goes, honestly, I don't know. I, I think your brother-in-law might have really taken it with him. <laughs> like, John, we just have this tradition. Like, we, we give each other weird gifts. We give the other people weird gifts. 
um, just to try to outdo one another. Well, I, I had this idea. I had a gift that I wanted to give to my brother, and, and it, it would barely fit in my bag. It was a bag that was even bigger than this. My friend in college, one of my roommates, he was doing a photography project for his senior exhibition for, uh, for his photography major. And uh, I mean, I don't mean to brag or anything, but I was one of his models. Um, <laughs> he, he said, I'm looking for very unique looking people. <laughs> with large facial features. <laughs> um, and at Warburg College, our senior year, there was actually like a picture of me that was, it was enormous. It was like from ceiling to floor. And, and he gave me a bunch of different copies of these that were pretty big, right? And what do you do with giant pictures of yourself? So I thought, I know, I'll, I'll give one to my brother and I'll hand it to him. I'll be like, okay, you gotta hang this up in your living room or something. So when I was traveling out to see my brother, I packed it in my bag. And I laid it flat at the bottom of the bag because I didn't want it to get creased or anything. And I send my bag through the x-ray thing and, and then the, the security agent gets it at the bottom and I just so happen to be so lucky and they say, I'm gonna need to check your bag. <laughs> and there is nothing more uncomfortable when someone's going through your baggage. Nothing more uncomfortable. And I wasn't even thinking about the picture yet. This guy, I mean, he's like, look, I mean, he is looking deep. Just, I mean, he's like, slip. <laughs> making eye contact with me as he's smelling my socks, you know. <laughs> Man. <laughs> the strange things that happen in our lives that we just pretend are normal, right? <laughs> I mean, he's unpacking the entire bag. He's like, I know there's something in here. And then he pulls this out. <laughs> and he holds it up and he goes, what's this? I'm like, I, I don't know how that got in there. Just throw it away. <laughs> he, looked, he goes, is that you? I'm like, no, I got a twin brother. <laughs> you, can, you can take me off the screen. Sometimes it, it's terrifying for people to find out what's in our baggage. Like, it, it's, it's embarrassing. We don't, we don't want people to find that out about us. Now, I will also say this. For some of us, it's not that we're so afraid about other people seeing what's under the surface. We are actually more afraid about finding what's under the surface for ourselves. Like, we don't want to go there. We don't want to find out what's really bothering us. What's bothering you this morning? I have a feeling that there are people in this room and something is really bothering you. There are people in this room who are carrying things that are really heavy. And maybe you're reluctant to letting them out. I want you to be willing to let God take care of you this morning. It's not comfortable to look deep into those places, but it's good. You know, you're here in church and you're smiling and you sing the songs, but how was the drive here with your family? How was the morning getting ready together? One of my first memories in church, uh, and one of the first times I remember crying in church because of a spiritual experience uh, was when I was, when I was very little. Um, my dad would leave really early in the morning to get to the church to prepare for sermons. I'm a pastor's kid. And my mom would be left there with the three of us, my siblings and I, in the house. God bless her soul, because we just had so much energy on Sunday mornings. And uh, on this particular Sunday morning, my sister and I were, were playing tag. I don't know if she was playing tag as much as I was just chasing her, because I thought it was fun. But my family had recently bought this entertainment set for like our box TV that weighed 3,000 pounds. You know, you remember those? And uh, on the entertainment set, you had your DVDs, you had even your VHS tapes at the time, you had your TV, then underneath, there were these two little compartments and they had glass doors on them. And as I'm chasing my sister, one of the glass doors was open. 
And this thing was brand new. And I'm not looking at all. I'm just chasing Christy. And as I'm chasing her, I hear this. I smashed through this glass door. Now, nothing happened to me. I was totally fine. I know that's your top concern. But (laughs) I felt so guilty. I felt so bad. My mom's like, what was that? She comes over. She's cleaning it up, this broken mess that I've created that felt like it was resembling my broken heart. I was trying to hold it together. And I remember my dad saying in the sermon, I like... At six years old, I can remember clear as day one of the lines my dad said in that sermon. He said, God sometimes is the best at cleaning up our broken pieces. And at that moment, I don't know what happened to me. I thought of the broken glass. And it's like five, six years old. I don't know. I just erupted in tears. It just came out. There was no holding it back. Because the truth is, no matter how deep we bury our feelings, our experiences, the complicated things about us, they have their way of coming out. These unprocessed emotions do not die. They come back out alive. They find their way back to the top. And we could be ignorant about it, we could ignore it, or we could be like the psalmist who says, no, search me, oh God. I want to be real about this. I want you to have me. I want to know what you know about me. I want to deal with my baggage because I'm not afraid of it. Because I believe you can do something with it. You ever heard people say the tip of the iceberg? Cairo students, you'll recognize this because I used this illustration a few weeks ago, but the tip of the iceberg, we say it when there's more than what meets the eye, right? Now, I would say a lot of us are like icebergs. Maybe there's 10% of us that people see on the surface. But beneath the surface, there's about 90% of us. And that's the complicated part. Those are the deep things that we're not comfortable with everyone seeing. Now, let's be very clear. Some of us have a problem with oversharing. And we say, look at me, right? It's like the trench coat guy on the sidewalk. No! Too far. Why did I say that? Man, that wasn't in the script. Some of us have a problem with oversharing, that's true. We should be vulnerable and honest with the people who have earned that trust. I do want to tell you this, God's earned that trust, absolutely. But there is a complicated piece of our lives, and it's most of our lives, that's deep beneath the surface. And those are oftentimes the most destructive things in our life, too. Because they're in the blind spot. The most famous example of this was when the Titanic crashed, right? The stories say that they could see the iceberg, but they didn't see what was underneath the surface. And so there was a shipwreck. And so often in our lives, there's the part that we want everybody to see, but it's the destructive stuff that's underneath the surface that we really need to bring out into the light and be honest about and care for, be real about. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to come real with God? Do you have the courage to seek deep underneath the surface? Not to be exposed, not to be embarrassed, but to be cared for to be loved. I believe that God is inviting us to be loved. Like I said, sometimes Christians are the last ones to do this. Sometimes Christians, uh, like we, we, we put ourselves in the place of victimhood, right? Like we say like, oh, people don't understand us and, and you know, all, that, all that different stuff, right? But, but maybe, maybe it's, it's what we're doing, right? Like maybe we're making it harder on ourselves and maybe we could make it easier. I think that it's kind of sad when you ask somebody who's not a Christian and they say, and you say, describe a Christian, how much you describe them. You know some of the things that you don't hear? 
You don't hear them say things like, oh, they're the best listeners. They're so empathetic. Like, what happened, right? This is what we're taught to be. This is who we're called to be. You read this in the book of Titus this morning in our Bible reading. So we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Like, we have hope for the future, right? And we hold on to that hope, and that's good. But here in this moment, we do have a job. We do have a duty. Like, we can be real. We can be honest. We don't have to hide things. There's another survey put out by Pew Research that asked non-Christians, what are some of the words that come to your mind when you think about Christians? And among the top of the list, one of the things that people said was judgmental, and I think that that's really sad. We can do a lot better than that, right? The other one that I think was really interesting, private. Christians are so private. We're so quiet about this stuff. We don't talk about what's beneath the surface. And so people think that we're not authentic. They think that we're not real. But what if we could be? Christians might be different then. Paul was the author of this book, uh, Titus, this letter to Titus. And one of the things that Paul does throughout his letters in the New Testament is he oftentimes convicts Christians and says, hey, there's no difference right now between you and the people who aren't proclaiming Christ. Like, when Jesus comes in your life, there ought to be a change. There ought to be a sense of freedom. There ought to be a sense of newness. Is there newness in you? Or... Or are you just the same? Because the truth is, is sometimes Christians can be a little bit repulsive. Sometimes Christians are no different than the rest of the crowd. And sometimes it makes people want to respond to us like this. Excuse me, sir, would you... Donation to the Reverend Moon? Jews for Jesus? Read about Jehovah's Witness? How about Buddhism? How about Jerry's kids? Oh, yeah. Scientology? Or nuclear power? There it is. There it is. Cool. Yeah. Uh, it's from one of my all-time favorite comedies called Airplane. And there's the pilot who's walking through the airport. And he's just approached by all these different people. And they all seem the same. And they're all kind of repulsive, right? Well, how can Christians be different? Like, how could we live in this world where we know that there is trouble, where we know that there is brokenness around us and in us, but still live lives that are full of wisdom, righteousness, and devotion? Lives that point people to hope. It can be very hard. I, I know that. It can be difficult for every single one of us, but we do have this hope that we can hold on to. So for the remainder of this sermon, I want to just talk about how do we experience deep hope? Like, how do we discover deep hope? In there, you've got wisdom, righteousness, and devotion. Let's talk about wisdom first. Turn to the person next to you and say, wisdom. Wisdom. We're going to feel wise today. We're going to experience that. Now, wisdom is not just this outwardly, I am smarter than you. But wisdom is actually this inward word. This inward word. <laughs> this word that describes an inward experience in the Greek of the scriptures. It literally means to be sober and balanced. It means to not numb yourselves with the other things of life that just distract us from what's actually happening inside of us. How many of us are turning to distractions? How many of us go to things that just numb us? How many just immediately turn to our defense mechanisms? I read that 20 million Americans right now are struggling with some sort of substance abuse, whether that be alcohol or drugs. 
40 million Americans are uh, frequently watching pornography. 30 million Americans are dealing with um, an eating disorder. Like, these are real things. These are real numbing things that we go to to try to distract us, right? That we think are going to bring us balance in the moment, but they, they don't. What we actually find is they've done nothing other than make us feel worse than before we indulged in that defense mechanism. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Like, I have my own defense mechanisms, my own coping mechanisms, the things that I turn to that sometimes make me numb. So I'm not saying any of this stuff today to shame you. Instead, I want to say this stuff today to invite you to a better thing, a better way. Wisdom, biblically speaking, is to be balanced. It's to be balanced. Acknowledge the tough things in this life, the evil that does exist in this world, but also acknowledge the hope. There is a hope that exists for us. Remember last week we looked at this in Philippians chapter 4? It said, think. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right, pure and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Don't lose your mind. Be balanced. Think. Now, I know that this isn't something that comes to us right away. This happens through practice. And so does this next thing. There's righteousness. Now, when people talk about righteousness, which is the second thing that's listed for discovering deep hope in Titus chapter 2, oftentimes we think about self-righteousness. Like, righteousness is not a word that we like. We think of, like, pious, and, and, and that's just kind of a dirty word in, in today's society. It seems like people are uppity and, and condescending. But in the Bible, again, this is actually another word that describes an inward experience. Righteousness. It is someone who seeks justice and someone who has compassion. It's compassion and it's justice. Oftentimes, we think that the best thing that we can do to care for the people around us is to simply forget ourselves. The truth is, if we want to care for the people around ourselves, we've got to care for ourselves too. How can we possibly expect to care for others if we don't know how to care for ourselves? How can we possibly expect to know other people on a deep level if we don't know ourselves? If we're not willing to go beneath the surface and really take a look at some of those destructive things that are happening in our lives... To call out the injustice around us and to call out the injustice that is inside of us. And it creates a compassion inside of us. In Titus chapter 2, in the verse at the beginning of the reading that you heard for today, it says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. This is the justice of God. The justice of God is that judgment has already come. This is the crazy thing that sometimes we don't acknowledge when it comes to judgment in the Bible. Because judgment is another one of those taboo words that we don't like to talk to. Judgment has already come. The righteous one, the most righteous one, Jesus Christ, has come into the world. And he's embraced judgment for us. And you get freedom. Sometimes when we think about righteous people, we think about judgmentalism. When we think that somebody is pious, we think that they're condescending. But when it comes to Jesus, who was the most righteous being of all time, find the judgmental bone in his body. You won't. You will find justice, and you will find compassion. It's incredible. I mean, this is convicting. This does make us look deep beneath the surface, because as you read your Bible, as you dive into it, which I know is one of the hardest things sometimes to get into the habit of, but as we read it, as we dive into it, and as we try just a little bit more every single day, all of a sudden, Scripture becomes attractive to us. Scripture doesn't become attractive to us because it's like superstitious, like, oh, I have to read this day or God's not going to love me anymore. Scripture doesn't become attractive to us because it's a chore and we feel better about ourselves after we've done it. Scripture becomes attractive to us because we see that we exist within the story of God. You will find that there are people in the Bible that you feel terrible for and you relate to them. 
And on the other side, you will also see people in the Bible that you really despise. And you will relate to them too. But here comes Jesus, the most righteous one of all time. The one who's bringing justice and compassion. And he finds common ground with those we feel sorry for, with those that we judge, with those that we'd never want to be like. He finds common ground with all of us. He has compassion for everyone. And then there's devotion that Titus talks about, that Paul talks about to Titus. It's devotion. And devotion, sometimes we're like, oh boy, like, geez, here comes the commitment, here comes the difficulty, I, I don't know. Devotion is simply a passion. Are you noticing a theme here? Wisdom, an inward expression, that, uh, an, an, an inward experience that leads to outward expression. Righteousness, an inward movement that creates compassion inside of you that then leads to love for the people around you. And then devotion, another inward experience that leads to outward expression. Like, are we, are we devoted to this? Like, are we really moved by that, by the compassion of God? Like, what are you most passionate about in this world? What is it that moves you? What is it that drives you? As Christians, I think that we ought to be passionate for compassion. And when we see that the God of the universe has been compassionate to us, that will create the passion inside of us to be compassionate with others. What is beneath the surface will come out. And your passion, your deepest passion, naturally comes out of you. But it takes work, doesn't it? It takes time. It takes effort. It's not always easy to read your Bible. It's not always easy to spend time in prayer. And sometimes we feel terrible about ourselves and we just give up because we're, we're praying for 30 seconds and then we got bored. Like, me too. It happens. But the more that we have interactions with this compassionate and loving and just God, the more we're attracted to him. Because the more we experience the love that he has for us, and the more that we see the love comes out of us and is given to the people around us. The passions that are deepest inside of you will come out. You've been seeing a lot of professional athletes lately, whether that's in the NFL playoffs, whether that's in college basketball, whether that is in the Olympics, which just kicked off yesterday. Anybody here a huge Olympics fan? I love the Olympics. I love it. I love seeing people express their passion that they've worked so hard for for so long. Like, I am passionate. I mean, really, I am passionate about watching snowboarding in the Olympics. If you watched me snowboard, you'd have no clue. Because I'm not passionate in the way that actually leads me to be devoted to it. Now, you watch SportsCenter, or you watch anybody talk about what they're passionate about, but there's a different level of passion for the people who actually devote themselves to it. So there are the sports anchors on SportsCenter who talk about Olympians, but then there are the Olympians who actually devote their lives to it. Uh, this was several years ago, but Usain Bolt, the fastest man in the history of the 100-meter dash, he visited ESPN, and the man who has devoted himself to running raced against the people who just talk about running or other sports. Take a look at this. It's, it's actually pretty amazing. You've got, you see, I think you'll be able to know which one is him. Um, he's the really fast one in the, in the Jamaican uniform. He's joking around, basically, toying with them as these ESPN sports anchors are sprinting after him. There's a difference between talking about it and actually devoting to it, but actually investing in it. God's inviting us. He says, let this be your deepest passion. Not a passion that you just talk about, but one that you actually devote to. Take 
care of yourself more than anything in your life. This is what your soul longs for. This is what your soul desires. For someone to pick up the broken pieces in our lives and say, I love you anyway. God gave me the most beautiful illustration just driving here this morning. I was driving on Lincoln Way and I was driving through Campus Town. In the middle of one of the intersections, there was a big pile of broken glass. I wonder how that got there. I don't know. I'm not going to judge. And undoubtedly, I'm sure some cars had driven over this and more cars were going to drive over it. And then while I'm waiting at the red light and I'm like, oh, darn, I'm going to have to drive through this. This white sedan parks in front of me in the middle of the park and right in the middle of the intersection. Like, what are you doing? And this woman, I have no idea who she is, gets out and starts sweeping up the glass. And it's the, it was the most perfect, beautiful imagery I could have asked for this morning. On her, on her door, there's a giant decal that says, Jesus heals the brokenhearted. And I'm like, that's who Christians are supposed to be. So passionate that we're exercising. So passionate that we're practicing. I took a picture of her because I wanted to be able to store that and, and, and save it, but I didn't have the chance to actually ask her personally, so I'm not going to put her picture up on the screen. But nobody else there is there like videoing her or, or filming her or noticing her or going to be able to post about it on social media later. It's just who she is. It's just what she's devoted herself to. It's just part of her life. I mean, it's not like just saying, okay, well, the glass isn't there. No, it's, it's real wisdom. Like, it's sobering. It's honest. Like, yeah, it's, it's there. But it's also this balanced approach. I can do something about this. It's wisdom. I can make a difference. Think about what is honorable. Think about what is just. Think about what is pure. Think about what is holy. I can do something about this. That's wisdom. It started from the inside, but it came out. That is wisdom. What's beneath the surface comes out. It was wisdom. It's compassionate, right? Like, it, it, it's righteous. It wasn't condescending. It wasn't judgmental. She wasn't walking around campus asking people, who put this here? She just picked it up, put it in her car, and drove away. And then I had a clear path to drive through. It was awesome. But it came from devotion. I have no doubt about that. It has to, right? Nobody else was stopping to pick this up. I wasn't. We can all be devoted to this and see how it comes out and produces some fruit in our lives. It's beautiful. What we're most passionate about, it does come to the surface. What are you most passionate about? Where are you finding your hope? Where are you finding your reason for life? And Titus, just before the passage that we read, or excuse me, just after the passage that we read for today, I wrote Titus chapter 2 on here. It's actually Titus chapter 3, I apologize. When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. You might be so passionate about certain things, but eventually you stop practicing them because you're not like great at it, right? Like it's just not a gift that was given to you. For example, again, I love snowboarding. I love watching it. But I'm not going to spend all my week practicing it because I just don't have the gifts to make that worth my while. Yet these Olympians, they do practice it. They do invest in it. Why? Because it's a gift that's been given to them. It would be a waste. The gifts that are given to us, those are the things that we can be most passionate about because those are the things that we can hold on to. Those are the special things about us. Maybe you heard this week Tom Brady retired from football. I don't know. Just like a couple of networks covered that, right? 
Tom Brady is my favorite athlete of all time. And I don't care if you don't like me for that, all right? I was seven years old when he was drafted in the NFL. And so for me, it's the last athlete that I grew up with, right? So it was like, it's like hard for me to see him retire. I'm actually sad about it. I mean, I'm really disappointed. When he lost the playoff games against the Rams, my wife looked over at me and she actually asked, are you crying? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. <laughs> You know, it's funny, like he had this incredible gift to play football. And whether you like him or not, and it doesn't matter who your favorite quarterback is, he's done things your favorite quarterback has never done. He's had capabilities that you and I will never have, no matter how much you want to criticize him. Sometimes criticizing people's success is a sign of our deepest insecurities. Just, it's a word from the Lord, I think. <laughs> You know, but he took this passion, right? And he created, or he worked on it, and he devoted to it. But eventually, all of the gifts and all the talents that we have that belong inside this world, like they have their limit, they have their end. Eventually, we don't get to use them anymore. And while I'm sitting here like distraught, Tom Brady retired from football, what am I gonna do? Watch the Bears again? Lord, help me. Like, it seems like everybody in the world is distraught over him retiring except him. It's like, yeah, no, like, that, that's not, that's just not my passion anymore. There are deeper things. There are deeper things in life. There are the things that are beneath the surface, the more complicated things that sometimes aren't always fun to address, but they come to the top. So let's go down. Let's, let's dive down deep into them. Acknowledge the evil in the world. That's fine. You know what one of the neatest things, maybe not neatest, but one of the most interesting things about this passage in Titus? Paul says, although you live in an evil world, you don't have to be like that. Just before this, Paul is describing one of the most horrendous examples of evil in all of human history. He talks about slaves and their masters. And this was actually a passage that was taken out of context hundreds of years ago that slave owners would use and abuse and take out of context to tell slaves, you have to listen to me. I have power over you. I get to condescend you. I get to judge you. Little did they know that right after that, Paul says, even though you live in an evil world, you live in a world that is evil. He is naming the evil. God names the evil in this world. God does not sober up on things that just numb him. From the, God knows the evil of this world and he names it. Even though the evil surrounds you, the evil never gets to touch your hope. These are things that you can devote to that will never be taken from you. This is something that you get to practice now and for all of eternity. This is a gift that truly lasts forever. If you are going to be passionate about anything in the world, be passionate about compassion. Be passionate about sharing God's love. Be wise. Be righteous. Devote to it. The Olympians, they'll devote to their gifts for a while, but eventually they won't be able to do it anymore. This is a, this is a gift. This is a passion you get to hold on to for all of eternity. And it will change eternity for the people around you. It will. Because this is a gift that we've inherited, not a gift that we've earned. This is because of his mercy, 
because of his grace, we have inherited eternal life. I was so distraught, so worked up, so sad, actually crying in church about the broken glass at home. We get home, my dad finds out about it. I think it's gonna be terrible. I sit down in front of my mom and my dad, I'm like screaming, crying. I'm so sorry, I can't believe I did this. I'm so sorry, I can't believe I did this. That was the only conversation we ever had about it. And my mom said a line that she said so often when we were growing up. She said, Danny, get over yourself. Everyone else has. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> it's funny. It's one of the most loving things I've ever heard. So you're afraid of what's beneath the surface? Honestly, like, get over yourself. We've all got deep, deep things beneath the surface. We're all complicated. You can be real about it. It's all right. My parents never once brought that up again. That TV entertainment set, it sat in front of us for like 10 years. They never once brought it up again because it was already dealt with. Jesus has already dealt with all of it. All of it. You don't have to be afraid of it. Go deep beneath the surface and let God's passion for compassion replace those things that are keeping you in shame. You don't have to work for it. It's because of his mercy, because of his grace. Jesus showed that for us. In no greater example than his sacrifice for us on the cross. It was just before them, on the night of his betrayal, where Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples to eat. He said, take and eat. This is my body, and it's given for you. When you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. Then again, after supper, Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks. He poured it out for all of them to drink. He said, this cup is the new covenant. It's my blood. It's shed for you and for the forgiveness of all sins. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. If you didn't get a communion packet on your way in today, just let our ushers know. They're coming up and down the aisles. They'll be able to get it to you. In the meantime, let's go ahead and pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You want to get healthy? You want to get right? Receive God's love. Let God care for you. See how he heals your heart. How he picks up your broken pieces. He won't shove them in your face. He says, I've dealt with them once and for all. So go ahead and receive the bread. And know this is the body of Christ. It is broken for you. And you may drink the grape juice, which is our wine for the morning. Know that it is the blood of Christ. And it is shed for you. Amen and thanks be to God. Let's stand, and if you are able, and let's sing a song.